Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Tuesday, October 22nd. And thanks as always for tuning in. It is the day after the 43rd federal election where Canada's 23rd Prime Minister Justin Trudeau received a second mandate after winning 157 seats to claim a minority government. The Conservatives formed the official opposition with 121 seats. The Bloc Québécois formed the official third party with 32 seats. The NDP hold the balance of power, though, with 25. The Green Party will send three MPs to Ottawa, and Jody Wilson-Raybould won her riding of Vancouver-Granville as an independent. Here in the Kamloops-Thompson-Caribou, Conservative Kathy McLeod was re-elected to a fourth term, and she will continue to serve the area as she has since 2008. And out in the central Okanagan, Similkami Nicola, Conservative Dan Albus retained his seat, winning with nearly 48% of the vote there, and he will be joining me on the show to begin the back half. It is a new NBA season that begins tonight, and the Toronto Raptors are getting ready to raise a new championship banner as they host the New Orleans Pelicans to open up their 2019-2020 campaign. A BC documentary filmmaker has been making a push to see a return of the Vancouver Grizzlies to the province. I'll be chatting with Cat Jamie in about 10 minutes or so, and then to end off today's program to help get you into that Halloween spirit, I'll be joined by Bonnie McLean, who's helping to organize the annual zombie walk here in Kamloops, which is set to take place this Saturday. But to begin today's program, Associate Professor of Political Studies at Thompson Rivers University, Robert Hanlon, returns on the show and joins me by phone to talk about what happened yesterday. Robert, thanks so much for coming back on the program. My pleasure. Good morning. How are you doing here today? Any, uh, any uh, you know, were you up late watching the results trickle in last night? Yeah, I think I watched uh, the results. I, I watched about eight hours of television yesterday, which is a, a record for me going through this. So, uh, yeah, quite some dramatic uh, times. Eight hours of consecutive TV. That must have been tough on your eyes by the end of the night. It was tough, yeah. But, uh, you know, this is like sports for us and politics. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> totally. Well, let's, uh, let's use that as a segue to start by having me ask, you know, the Liberals, they won a minority government with 157 seats. That's a 20-seat decrease from what they had coming into the election. Uh, any big surprises for you last night in terms of the overall result, or did it pretty much play out as you expected? You know, the polls were pretty accurate on this one. Uh, it showed a lot of regional uh, differences. You know, there was some dramatic wins for the Conservatives in Western Canada. And I think even in this riding, you know, the uh, the gap between Kathy McLeod and Terry Lake was, was quite large. So mm-hmm. I think that was a bit surprising. Um, but for the most part, you know, we had kind of thought that there might be a, a minority liberal government. Uh, it was just unclear on how much uh, votes the, you know, the, the, the left-siding parties were to, to take away from them versus the Conservatives. So I think the Conservatives, you know, while they gained uh, quite a few votes, they gained seats, they gained, they won the popular vote, you know, there's still some work for them to do if they're hoping to form government. Yeah, and... Uh... Yeah, so obviously we expected a minority government to be formed, uh, whether it was going to be by the Conservatives or Liberals was sort of up in the air heading into last night. And, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, I think I thought it would be a little bit closer than the 36-seat the win that we saw, uh, the 36-seat gap between the Liberals and Conservatives. Did you expect it to be a little bit closer than that? Because uh, you also mentioned here in, in uh, the Kamloops Thompson Caribou, I expected Jerry Lake to really, you know, have a, have a big push for that uh, that seat here in, in the city, but it didn't really pan out that way so i mean were you expecting things to be a little bit tighter than they were uh you know just overall 
I had I had thought that it would be a, a bit tighter. My my sense is though, you know, there's deep support for Kathy McLeod in, in the community, and there's there's quite a lot of support for the Conservative Party. I mean, when you look at Canada's map and just kind of the regional uh, interests across it, you know, this the his history of this this area and, and Western Canada of, of, of voting uh, for the Conservatives is, is quite strong. So they've got a very very solid base. Um, but the other thing is just the you know the the general kind of dislike of Trudeau and distrust, and I think you know that was captured uh, a lot ac- across the country but uh, you know you really it really does uh, show here in, in in western Canada the 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 feeling that that people had and and and, not, and wanting uh, a different government yeah and, and I think that also showed when you just were talking about the fact that the conservatives did win the popular vote so the the liberals had what 38 and a half percent or so um, of the vote last time maybe even 39 percent if I'm remembering correctly in 2015 and that was down to uh, you know barely making the 30 33% mark. So quite a significant drop in just the percentage of votes that they did receive. Um, I guess that's pretty telling of sort of where people's allegiances are, are lying at this stage of the game when it comes to, uh, you know, who they wanted to see as a leader. Maybe they still support the Liberal Party, but not necessarily supporting Justin Trudeau as, as the, uh, the face of that party. Is that sort of uh, your takeaway right now as well? Well, yeah, and, and one thing that we saw in 2015 was this, this Trudeau surge, and so it was unclear how that would resonate uh, today. You know, if you re- kind of recall over the last, even the last two decades of the Liberal Party has kind of, the numbers have been sliding in, in different writings, it's been, and, and Trudeau was kind of this uh, resurgence of the party, but, you know, Trudeau, it, it demonstrates that, you know, the Liberal Party is the Liberal Party, and Trudeau is not, uh, you know, if you put a personality cult around a leader to lead the party, you know, it's going to come back eventually and and uh, and get you so you know we we see these these numbers and you know they're all all below 30 you know the the conservatives below 35 the liberals around 33 and you know this is these are unpopular leaders and so you know the the thing is is these parties are really going to have to think about how to move forward how to capture some of some of the the votes that they've lost to other party from voters that are just kind of sick of the same old you know yeah um minds for sure definitely going to be interesting to see how these parties sort of react uh to what took place here yesterday and and how that maybe changes their path uh moving forward joined by uh, thompson rivers university uh, associate professor of political studies robert hanlon on the phone um uh, so I definitely wasn't surprised by the fact that it was, you know, very blue as you head west of Ontario with the Liberals only winning uh, 15 of a possible 104 seats once you hit that Ontario-Manitoba border. So a clear divide when it comes to the Liberal support in this country and sort of where it is. Uh, I guess from that standpoint, and you're someone who's obviously uh, very interested in, in international trade and things as well. Um, so just looking at, at, you know, sort of where the support lies when you head west um, how challenging do you think it's going to be for this liberal government to to make any um, you know waves in terms of having support uh, west of Ontario? I mean, we, they haven't really traditionally had it in the past, and and given the fact that it's a minority government, it's probably going to continue to be difficult to to gain any support. Um, just just were you surprised to see sort of the, the the divide of of where that line is between blue and red here in this country? Probably not surprised there, but um, you know, do you think it's going to be a big challenge to to kind of work? with the western provinces for this federal government 
it'll absolutely be a challenge and they're going to have to uh you know i think they're going to have to rely on on the ndp for for some of that support um in in gaining confidence in their in their in as they put forward legislation um i think you know though you know there's a long history in canada of, of kind of you know the west versus central versus atlantic canada you know the, the west wanting in you know, we have a history of of regional parties coming out of the west because of this feeling that, you know, the voice in Western Canada is not being represented in Ottawa. So, you know, but the votes, when you think of the way the Liberal has kind of mapped out their strategy and they look to kind of gain votes in Quebec and they look to Ontario, you know, there's a lot of feeling that they don't uh, speak on behalf of Western Canadians. So they're certainly going to have to work at that. I mean, the other thing, too, is is historically, as far as we can go back, we know that Canadian voters mostly vote towards the centre and centre-left. And, and it's, so this idea of of the Liberal Party coming in and, you know, they, they put out so many big policy ideas. There's so many things that they say they represent that it almost becomes unclear what they actually represent. So, you know, they're really going to have to find ways to, to, to rethink their policy and, and, and really make their policy clear uh, into in Western Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um. One thing that you did mention there off the top of your answer too was the, you know, working with the NDP and, and that's being probably something that'll be critical when trying to appease some of these uh, Western provinces. Um, so the NDP, you know, 25 seats, uh, they do hold the balance of power essentially, right? Because they can, they can prop up this liberal government uh, if, if they so choose. But uh, what are you kind of looking for or interested in seeing here as we sort of progress and find out how these two potential uh, parties are going to work together? Because we look at the issue of maybe things like pipelines, right? We have the liberal government who's bought one, but they, the NDP saying that, uh, you know, they're super anti-pipeline. Um, so that would be one issue where, you know, are the liberals are going to have to give a little if they want to, uh, you know, get that NDP support. Um, you know, what, are there any other particular issues that you're kind of looking at and seeing, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out given that uh, certain parties do have very different views on how things are going to move forward and, and the NDP does seem like the logical working choice for the Liberals at this stage of the game, but that maybe isn't a marriage that uh, is, is totally perfect. Yeah, you know, and history shows these, these, you know, minority governments tend to only last a few years. So, um, we'll see how it goes. You know, I would hope that, uh, there's no, uh, kind of scaling back on the pipeline that, that this is something that they, they can still move forward, but they're really going to have to make concessions in some areas to get the NDP support. And if, again, if you look at the NDP and the Green, you know, a lot of this is around electoral reform. I think you're going to see that being pushed on the table. The, the NDP is a party, ironically, they've, you know, they've lost the in Quebec, but they've gained more power in Ottawa through this ability to to mm-hmm. to, to work with the Liberals. So, um, you know, it's going to really change the dynamic. We're hoping to see some some cooperation. You know, I would hope, uh, but this is also an opportunity for the other parties to think. Well, you know, how do we cooperate a bit more and get get our you know get the job done instead of just you know calling out the other and not working with one another. So, um, I think electoral reform is going to be a big one. I think. Uh, Obviously, the environment uh, and and how they uh, you know develop economic policy and taxation are going to be big ones. But I, I I see the NDP trying to hold on to this as long as they can. Um, 
And given that answer, I just want to kind of maybe ask for a quick prediction. So I assume, uh, given what happened yesterday, the Conservative Party is pretty disappointed uh, to not pull out the victory. And I assume that means the end of Andrew Scheer as the leader for the Conservatives. Do you think the NDP did enough and Jagmeet Singh did enough to, to retain his spot as leadership of the NDP, um, given the fact that, you know, although they did lose seats, they do hold essentially more power in the House now moving forward. And, uh, you know, he obviously was able to build quite a bit of momentum through things like the leadership's debates and, and was able to draw up more support maybe than a lot of people predicted uh, heading into to last night's election. Yeah, I think he did a lot better than people had predicted. I mean, Quebec, they did very well last time because of Quebec, and but Quebec's always this kind of this outlier, you know, that was almost an outlier kind of example of, of success. I mean, Quebec is a, is a hard province to win. It's historically been liberal or bloc, and so, you know, there was a lot of questions if that was even sustainable, those wins. So when you remove kind of Quebec from the equation, the NDP have done quite well. I mean, Jagmeet Singh is well-liked. Uh, he's one of the, you know, he's got a, he's more like than the other leaders if we look at, at the polling and so you know i think he's certainly going to be around for for a while in in, in holding the the liberal party uh to this minority government but hopefully to this uh you know to work with other parties and and, and find ways to to get through and uh, get the job done and uh, with a minority government well robert thanks so much for taking the time to join me today i always appreciate you joining me and uh yeah definitely some interesting stuff to review and we'll see how this uh new uh, liberal minority government shapes up moving forward thanks so much yeah my pleasure thank you awesome that was associate professor of political studies at thompson rivers university robert hanlon coming up after the break i'll be chatting about basketball with a documentary filmmaker from right here in bc so stick around for that radio nl radio nl.com local news now Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Tuesday on what will be the start of a brand new NBA season and the first ever season where a Canadian team enters as the defending champions. Yes, the Toronto Raptors won the Larry O'Brien Trophy with an incredible run last year, a run that captivated fans, both hardcore and casual basketball fans across the country, to tune in and watch that historic run. But what did that fandom display? Because yes, Toronto was the center of it, which was evident with two plus million people attending the Raptors parade through the city. But what about elsewhere? What did we see here in the province of B.C. where an NBA team did reside less than 20 years ago? Well, Kawhi Leonard, who was the star of that Raptors team, has since moved on to the L.A. Clippers. And last week, he was on the court in Vancouver for an exhibition game against Dallas. And one Grizzlies superfan organized a rally prior to that contest to show that this province should have an NBA team once again. I am joined now by Cat Jamie, director of a Grizzlies film called Finding Big Country. Cat, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to do this last week after the Thursday rally, but uh, you know, you said you had no voice really left after <laughs> that. So uh, with that in mind, I guess, how did things go? Obviously, you were uh, pretty vocal Thursday night, and, and what kind of turnout and support did you receive? It was, uh, you know, it was so much fun. Um, it actually was pouring rain, um, but despite that, we still got a, a pretty good turnout for the rally, and yeah, that's when I kind of lost my voice, but we were joined um, by Arthur Griffiths, who was the um the you know the visionary who brought the team to Vancouver uh Trevor Jones who was um the Grizz uh 
um, our beloved mascot and a few other uh, basketball uh, Vancouver legends. Um, we also spoke about you know what the team meant to what the team meant to us and what you know what having it the NBA um, in our community you know the value of that. So it was, it was a great turnout. I did um, you know there's also chanting as well as so that's how I lost my voice. But I'd say the coolest thing is that. Um, when we went to the game um, in the fourth quarter, um, the the crowd erupted in chants of "We want Grizzlies," um, and it got pretty loud. So hopefully, you know, the NBA or you know potential investors uh, were listening um, because uh, it's you know it's quite clear that Vancouver um, we, we want another NBA team. What is it about this Vancouver Grizzlies franchise that really drew you in? Like, why do you think people in that community and the, the city of Vancouver and here in BC are so passionate about basketball and about the Grizzlies? And, uh, you know, obviously very disappointed to see them leave and go to Memphis in 2001, but showing that they really do want this team back here. Uh, what do you think it is about basketball that just draws people in here in British Columbia? Well, I was six years old when the Grizzlies came to town, um, and I was 12 when they left, and it's it was really, it's been really interesting because um, through Finding the Country, I've met so many other super fans, um, and they're all pretty much my age right now, um, and so they're all, you know, at the same age when the Grizzlies were in town, and um, we all have the same, like, same fond childhood memories of the team, and they the team, despite their track record, like I know that we weren't the greatest. Um, you know, they still were were like our. It was still so cool and so special and so magical to be able to go. Um, you know, to to go to uh, to games in our own backyard to see professional players, like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal. Like these are the players that were coming in and out of Vancouver, and we got to see them. Um, and so it was. Uh, I've I've met so many other other childhood fans and we all kind of share the same nostalgic, um, you know, magical memories. And, and, and I think that was, was super important, super important for me as a kid to, um, to, to have that. Um, and I, I, it wasn't just me. There were so many others out there and we didn't care that the team was that bad. And that's that I think that's, uh, was really special. Do you think that the the Toronto Raptors run last year really helped show just how big the sport of basketball is here in Canada and that, you know, having a second team in this country is beyond viable? And, uh, you know, do you really think that, you know, the, the, the support that the Raptors received here out in the West Coast as well um, uh, just, just shows that, you know, basketball does have a place here in Western Canada? Oh, yeah, for sure. That was a huge, I mean, oh, my gosh, so amazing how Toronto won the champion, uh, championship. And, yeah, definitely, definitely showed how, you know, I think, like, up to, like, 7 million Canadians tuned into the, the Raptors championship game. And, um, you know, every province having their own little viewing section of the, of the game, like, you know, can, can, basketball is huge in Canada. We're just not a hockey country. Um, and, you know, we definitely need more than one Canadian team in the, in the league. Um, and, and I have about a minute left here, Kat, so I'll get you out of here on this. So you made the film yeah. Finding Big Country, which is a 43-minute documentary about Brian Reeves. Mm-hmm. Uh, played six seasons, I believe, for the Grizzlies from 95 until the team left in 2001. And you also have another film that's just come out, a short 18-minute movie called We the West. I mean, maybe you want to give a little plug about these films and just, uh, you know, why did you want to make them and, and sort of what kind of stories are they, are they telling? For sure. So, finding a country, yeah, that's uh, that was what we made last year. I, it's my search for my favorite grizzly, uh, Bryant Reeves, who kind of disappeared when the team moved to Memphis. 
And then after that, through Finding My Country, I met so many super fans who, you know, came up to me crying after they watched the film and saying that, you know, I they thought that they were the only ones who still cared about the Grizzlies. So We the West um, tells a story of four super fans and their backstory. And then I'm actually, my next film, I'm working on multiple projects, but one of the main projects I'm working on is now I'm working on the feature-length story of uh, the Vancouver Grizzlies. So telling a story from beginning to end, which is what I've always wanted to do to get to the bottom of why the team left and to prove that uh, we need another team back in Canada. Awesome work, Kat. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Enjoy a new NBA season beginning tonight, and uh, hopefully one day we'll see the return of the, the Grizzlies to Vancouver. Thanks so much. Yes, amazing. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That was Kat Jamie. Coming up after the break, I'll be chatting with Dan Alvis as he gets ready for another term as MP for Central Okanagan's Stamilkameen Nicola. So stick around to hear my conversation with him. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back in here on Tuesday, October 22nd. If you didn't know, there was an election yesterday, the 43rd election in Canada's history, where the country re-elected Justin Trudeau to serve as Prime Minister under a Liberal minority. The Conservatives do form the official opposition once again. I'm joined now by Central Okanagan, Samilkameen Nicola Conservative MP, Dan Albus. Dan, thanks so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, so, Dan, you retained your seat, winning with nearly 48% of the vote to head back to Ottawa for uh, another term. Uh, let me just get your initial reaction to, to keeping your job, hopefully, I guess, for another four years at this point. Well, again, minority governments have a life of their own, and so some last longer than others. Uh, I certainly want to first state that I uh, I really appreciate the support of uh, the people of Central Okanagan, Samilkami, Nikla, and I'll work hard for everyone, regardless if they voted me for not. I think it's important that people know that I, you know, I listen, I take their concerns to Ottawa, and uh, try to, to present the views in a respectful tone. Um, that being said, I also have a lot of volunteers uh, that have supported me. My family has supported me, and I want to thank them, but also the candidates and all of the other uh, campaign volunteers. You know, it takes a lot to stand for office. It takes a lot to present people choice. People have fought and lived and died for that uh, right uh, for us to form political parties and vote. So thank you to all of those people because that makes for a better Canada. Uh, no, Dan, like I said, you got almost 50% of the total votes there in your riding. So a pretty significant win um, for you there. Uh, just what, are your, what do you think it was that resonated with the voters of, of the Central Okanagan, Similkameen, Nicola? Like, what, what do you think your campaign um, you know, presented that was helping to draw in those voters for you? Well, I think partly it's due to all the candidates that ran. They were all good people. We wanted to talk about issues. We wanted to talk about the writing. And that made the fundamental role of the campaign was about representation. And so during the campaign, I, uh, I spoke about the need, uh, you know, for, for an, whoever it was to be accessible as possible so that people, if they have concerns, whether it be at a town hall or a weekly MP report or a phone call, that they can know that they're a member of parliament, in this case myself, is responsive to them, um, but also we need to be uh, accountable. And uh, when I would run those town halls, often they were called, hold your MP to account. And we would talk about issues that were important to people. I, I, the majority of those town halls were not issue specific, where it talks about things that I think are important. It's about what people think is important. And uh, you didn't need to register for that. But lastly, you know, getting results in Ottawa is a difficult thing. And, uh, you know, as we look at the electoral map, there's there's a lot of changes from 
uh, the 42nd Parliament. And so I'm going to be putting the experience that I have had as a, as a member of Parliament to build those good relationships with all parties, um, to fight for the issues that I think are important to our riding, but uh, to also get things done like private members' bills or uh, advocate for reducing our trade barriers within Canada. Those are things that are important to this riding. Um. So this is you're going back for a third term, right? You assumed office in 2011, the, you know, with the new riding being formed in 2015. So second term in this specific riding, but third term overall. Um, I guess what what have you taken over the course of the last eight years to really help you know make you become a, a better MP? Um, and you know what 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 have you learned, and what are you going to, or is there anything specifically that maybe you would uh, hang your hat on over those last eight years? Um, and and what might you be looking to improve upon as you move forward here for what what could be another four years, depending on on how this minority government shakes out. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I would just say the approach, as I said, uh, being accessible, accountable, getting results. So in the 41st Parliament, I had private members' bills, for example, to reduce the trade barriers uh, for B.C. vintners so they could sell their products to other uh, other provinces. Um, you know, that was important, and we got everyone to agree that that was, uh, you know, a good thing to proceed on. In the last Parliament, I put forward, I believe, six private members' bills. Many of them were adopted by the government through budget uh, omnibus bills. And quite honestly, I don't care, you know, who gets the credit as long as good ideas are heard and recognized. Um, and so in this Parliament, I really want to continue to talk about forestry. My first words in the 42nd Parliament was the need to get uh, tariff-free access for our softwood lumber to the United States. That's so important, and the government failed to deliver on that. That's the last thing I raised in Parliament. And so uh, my colleague Kathy McLeod and I, uh, as well as other members of our BC caucus, have been just strident on the issue of forestry. And so I really hope that we can bring the federal government to the table. The provinces have been asking for that, 21 mayors of interior uh, towns that are affected, you know, have spoken for the need for the federal government to, to, to be there. Uh, and uh, that's something we need to see changed in Ottawa. It shouldn't just be where a certain industry like cars or steel or aluminum get all the attention. Um, you know, we have people that need to put food on the table, and that's very important to me that they get that representation. Yeah, Dan, forestry, obviously a, a major uh, topic of discussion here in uh, BC's interior. And, uh, you know, obviously looking ahead, I guess, now that we see a minority government and, and you know, the Conservative being the official opposition to a majority, uh, it was difficult, I'm sure, at times to, to really get your message across and, and maybe able to, to see some results uh, in terms of the, the private members' bills you put forward and things along those lines. But now that it is a, major, a minority here, um, do you think that there is a little bit more of a chance for you to, to maybe have your message heard? I mean, if you look at the divide here uh, when it comes to, to red versus blue in the country and what happened yesterday, and it, you know, once you get west of Ontario, it's pretty much uh, a sea of blue. So from that perspective, uh, you know, obviously there's a, a, a need or a desire for a more conservative government out here in the western provinces. Um, and, and now that, you know, you do hold the 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 official opposition, and there is no majority in there. Do you think that you can hold the government's feet to the fire a little bit more and maybe see a little bit more action in terms of some of those things that you mentioned, like when it comes to forestry here, and, and maybe see a little bit of a difference in, in terms of being able to actually see some 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 production out of, out of those conversations that you're having? Well, absolutely. Uh, if the government is not listening to Parliament... Uh, they put themselves at risk. So I certainly hope that Mr. Trudeau is chastened by last night's results. 
Again, both the Liberal Party and the NDP lost both in terms of seats, but also in terms of, of votes. Uh, the Conservative Party actually won the popular vote. And so I think that's because Mr. Trudeau has been very divisive in the way that he held his majority. Um, for example, uh, we did not get the parliamentary oversight Canadians were expecting when it came to answering questions about SNC-Lavalin. Uh, they blocked many different parliamentary committees from even looking at the issue. Uh, and so that is something in a minority situation that can change because they don't have a majority on parliamentary committees. So, you know, I look at it that, that the Canadians, are, first of all, the voters are never wrong, Jeff. And so Canadians saw that Mr. Trudeau would, would continue to govern, but with a stronger conservative opposition, which means we can still uh, continue to hold this government to account to a greater effect. And now it comes up to us to make a case to be that credible alternative of, uh, you know, government in waiting uh, for when this minority comes to an end. Again, I can't say when that will be. I hope that Mr. Trudeau certainly will treat the House of Commons with far more respect than he has in the past four years instead of steamrolling parliamentary committees and blocking, uh, you know, opposition motions to discuss important issues like forestry. Uh, joined on the phone by Central Okanagan, Similkameen, Nicola Conservative MP, Dan Albus. Um, so you talked on it a little bit uh, in that last response. So the Conservative Party, like you had said, did win the popular vote. 34.4% of voters cast a ballot for the Conservative Party, whereas 33.06% of voters threw their support behind the Liberals. Um, do you have any immediate thoughts on the fact that your party, you know, did get over 1% more of the votes, and yet you do have 36 fewer seats? I mean, what, what does that tell you sort of about the, the state of, of how Canadians are feeling when it comes to uh, when it comes to the current government that we have now. Um, obviously, there seems to be a, a little bit more support behind the Conservatives. Yet it's going to be a Liberal government. So I guess what what do you take as sort of maybe a um, the behind the scenes message from from what the voters said last night? Well, again, I think the, that uh, the voters overwhelmingly put support, whether it be in Quebec or in the West, in, in other parties in the Liberal Party. They aren't happy with the status quo. But now it's incumbent upon us as a credible government in waiting and as the official opposition to, you know, reach out, to branch out. We now have voices in Atlantic Canada. That's not something that we had uh, in the last parliament. That does make our job easier in terms of relating to folks and hearing from all parts of the country. Uh, we need to go and, and continue to, uh, you know, listen to people, um, to to uh, understand that the needs and challenges and aspirations of every province and every territory, something that Mr. Trudeau has failed to do. And that's where the, the path to any government is, you know, to, you know, to success in, in political life. Jeff, it, democracy is, is, is ultimately the, uh, you know, getting people to yes. And uh, that's... We'll do it while doing our job. Uh, Canadians said they want us to be a stronger opposition. We will be a stronger opposition. Canadians want to put the Prime Minister on notice that he can't do whatever he wants. That's important that Mr. Trudeau acknowledges that. Um, but again, I congratulate all candidates, whether they want or not. Uh, democracy at this point, you know, you know, we, we see many challenges throughout the world. In Canada, we understand the importance of stability and honoring our democratic principles. So uh, I, I certainly want to, again, just say one more time how thankful I am to the uh, to the, my constituents and uh, also to all the candidates that ran. Uh, that's how we make a country better, by being competitive and offering choice. 
Uh, Dan, I think it's probably fair to assume that you were hoping the conservatives would form government last night. Um, I just want to get sort of a, a quick reaction to to the overall results and sort of how confident were you going in that you know there was the possibility of the conservatives holding power um, and and just sort of what was your were you disappointed at all kind of as the night wore on to see the the conservatives fall as far back as they did? I mean, obviously still making up a number of a, a bunch of ground in terms of number of seats, but uh, you know fall, falling short of, of forming government. Dis Disappointed in that uh, overall result? Well, no. You know, you play to win, and then it's it's really up to uh, you know the people to decide who they want and where they want. And our, under our system, it's a big country, and so you have to honor people, uh, you know, for what they what they what they've done. And so what I what I would simply say is is that I don't look at last night as a loss. I look at it as a steady shift of the government, you know, a popular sentiment uh, towards uh, you know a conservative government. Uh, obviously, that wasn't reflected in, in a total uh, uh, in the last uh, uh, result. But again, we're up, uh, you know, dozens of seats higher than we were last night, and we won the popular vote. To me, that's a sign that things are shifting. I might just remind you that uh, usually Canadians, it's it's it's, it's often ha- held as as uh, you know standard practice that Canadians usually give a majority a a second majority. There's only a very few cases in Canadian history where that did not happen. And that's why last night was history-making. That's why I believe it was a win for Andrew Scheer. That's why I believe that we need to continue to move forward uh, and make the case and to do our job as parliamentarians. Dan, I'll get you out of here on this one. So uh, I'm sure there's a, a number of people disappointed in the conservative brass, uh, you know, that Andrew Scheer wasn't able to to lead the conservative party to victory. Um, I guess just uh, do you have any immediate thoughts on just the campaign that he ran? And, and I assume that there's going to be a change at the top of the leadership, but that's uh, I don't need you to comment on that because, uh, you know, we're, we're far away from from that being, uh, you know, yeah, any kind that, of official that, that, there. Let, let's just hit that on the head. First of all, Andrew Scheer started two years ago as the leader where people were saying that Mr. Trudeau might have eight or 12 years in office. He took a party united and has expanded his vote and has expanded his number uh, members of parliament. That is unheard of. You know, this is, this is the thing is, is that, uh, you know, we have uh, as a party are in a stronger position now. If we go back to Mr. Harper in 2004, uh, he was up against the juggernaut of, of Paul Martin that had 60%, 7% of the polls, brought him to a minority, and within a short period of time became prime minister. So there's, you know, I certainly, you know, agree that there's a lot of more work to do, but acknowledging the reality that Mr. Scheer ran a very strong campaign under a lot of criticism, uh, it's not easy at that, at, at, you know, to being the leader of the official opposition, uh, and, uh, you know, and to, to have where you have a prime minister and the, uh, the NDP, I should point out Jagmeet Singh, uh, he, both of them lost a considerable amount of seats and votes. So Mr. Scheer, I think, is in a strong position to, to move forward and, uh, you know, and receive the mandate that Canadians have for him to be the official leader of the opposition. That's an important step, and I think it's important to acknowledge that. Dan, you make some very good points. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Uh, you know, that was that was good stuff there. And, uh, yeah, congratulations on, on the win and heading back to Ottawa for another term. And uh, I really appreciate you doing this, and we'll have to catch up again in the future. Thank you so much for the time, Jeff. Great. That was Central Okanagan Smoke Me Nicola Conservative MP Dan Albus, who is heading back to Ottawa for a third term. Coming up.
Halloween is fast approaching. Do you have plans to celebrate this weekend? Well, there is one group that will be taking to the streets of downtown Kamloops to provide some interesting spectacles. I'll be talking a little bit more about that after this. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back here to the Jeff Andreas Show on Tuesday, October 22nd. We are just nine days away from Halloween. Of course, that means this is the weekend now where many of those spooky activities will be front and center. One of those more popular themes these days is zombies with movies such as uh, Zombieland, World War Z, The Dead Don't Die. There's a whole bunch more we could go on for a while. Uh, those were all, of course, inspired by that 1968 film Night of the Living Dead. And, of course, the, the, the TV mega hit The Walking Dead exists as well. Uh, there is a group right here in Kamloops that is set to uh, get hit with that zombie fever here this weekend. One of the organizers of that. That is Bonnie McLean, and she joins me in studio now. Bonnie, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, good morning. So let's just start by talking about, you know, this zombie walk. I mean, how did this whole thing get started? Uh, I had heard there was other zombie walks going on in the world quite a few years ago, and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever, and I wished I could be a part of it. So I thought, well, I'll do it myself. So I got uh, maybe six friends together in the first year, half a dozen of us, just walked up and down and everyone looked at us like we were weird and we had the best time and we said we're going to do this again next year the next year there was like more than double the people so so how long have you guys been doing this this is our 13th year lucky 13 man that is a long time to be able to do something like this i mean have you seen it kind of get bigger and bigger as the years go on uh there was a zombie surge a few years ago and we had our, our biggest numbers then maybe uh maybe three or four years ago and you know now i think it's sort of uh you know, we're not uh, attracting you know, sort of general popular kids now. It's the hardcore zombies who are left. So the real, the real meat, as it were, of the group. So uh, how many people is that? Can you give us a rough idea of sort of what the, what the group looks like at this point in time? Well, it's, it's almost impossible to say because zombies are notoriously flaky. But I would say more <laughs> or less, you know, we have at least 50 people show up. 50, wow. Yeah. So that's still a pretty good spectacle. Yeah, so, good. I mean, how do you guys go about getting together and, and sort of, uh, you know, maybe planning for something like this? Is it just like a, a social media blast that you try to get people interested? Or do you guys get together and, and practice ahead of time? Or how does that work? <laughs> There's a, there's a, a core group of us that practice dances like a, like Thriller, but for the most part, it's social media. For the most part, I just uh, start uh, letting people know what's happening. I post, uh, you know, attractive pictures of zombies and, you know, nice tutorials from YouTube on how to do makeup and get your clothes ready. And then it's like miraculous. All these people just show up and they all look great and they're all ready to go. Um, is there, uh, you know, can you maybe talk about some of the, some of the makeup a little bit that we see? Because there's got to be some pretty creative people that are a part of this, and, and some pretty spectacular costumes that we see as a result. Yeah, there's uh, there's some pretty hardcore people out there who spend a lot of time thinking about characters and getting their makeup done. And nowadays, there's you can easily get uh, get nice wounds and stuff pre-made. But there's lots of tutorials. If you want to do it, you can start with something as as simple as a. Uh, toilet paper and glue, or you can start to build up your own appliance with latex. It just depends how much time you, you want to devote to it. Awesome. Uh, yeah, zombies obviously a pretty popular costume. Halloween is, I believe, Wednesday? My dates are correct. Could be Thursday, honestly. I can't remember off the top of my head now. And we now. care about zombie day. Nine days away. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, this Saturday would be a good chance to practice your zombie makeup and uh, you know get ready for actual Halloween night. Um, you know, So in terms of 
uh, what people see, I guess, how do they come out to watch and, and see the spectacles? That's something I definitely want to check out. So what's the route and, and, and how do people uh, know when to show up? Uh, well, we're meeting at 2 o'clock at a, at a, a parking lot across from uh, the Lansdowne Save on Foods. Um, if you go to the uh, Facebook uh, Zombie Walk page, there will be a map for uh, the route we're going to go and specifically where we're going to start. We end, we go to Red Collar at the end because you know, children are allowed and zombie, um, zombie voices are really hard to do and they make your throat sore so you need a drink afterwards. And, um, and uh, yeah, we just go up and down Victoria Street. The, the, route is, the route was longer a few years ago, but I realized that acting like a zombie is very, very tiring. You have to <laughs> lurch and tense your muscles and throw, throw yourself around. And one of the, there's only a couple of rules of zombie because zombies are obviously chaotic <laughs> things. Uh, but one of them is once you start the walk, the zombies have to stay in character. You can't be talking on your phone. You can't be taking selfies. You can't be chatting to, to people. So... Uh, for people watching it, it should be a spectacle of as if it was actual zombies, you know, doing their for thing. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so what time does it start? Two o'clock. Two o'clock. Perfect. Well, I'll definitely be sure to, to check you guys out. Thanks so much for coming in, Bonnie. Really appreciate it. Best of luck this Saturday. Ah. <laughs> that was Bonnie McLean with the Kamloops Zombie Walk, as you mentioned, taking place downtown Kamloops this Saturday, starting at two o'clock. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank everybody one more time for tuning in. And of course, a big thank you to all my guests for joining joining me. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I will be back here tomorrow, starting at nine.